Welcome to Skillful Means Podcast. I'm Annie Moyer. And I'm Jennifer O'Sullivan. In this episode, Annie and I are continuing our exploration of the 12 embodiments of yoga. These are Annie's takes on qualities that help us engage with the abstract world. And don't worry, if you haven't listened to our first episode of this series, they're not sequential or prerequisites, but we do encourage you to have a listen to all of them as a way of enriching your experience of yoga. So last time we took a close look at quiet and attention as qualities to cultivate. And this week we're unpacking practice and courage. So while these two qualities are really different things, in many ways we think of practice as the lead up to something and then courage is the thing that we need for the thing. But I would contend that it's really the courage that comes first and that it's the practice that is the thing. Yeah, I'm on I'm with you on that for sure. So let's start with courage, shall we? Yes. Um okay, I'm going to start with a definition. <laughs> <laughs> it's never wrong to do that. Um you know who talks about courage a lot is um in my head canon, my best friend forever, Brené Brown. She mm, often yeah. is it's kind of the, the guiding light on courage in, in these modern days. So my, my best friend, Brene Brown, talks about um, <laughs> courage as having that root word, cur, which means heart in Latin languages, right? Yeah, yeah. This relates to heart. These are root words for heart. And um, I just love that, that there's, there's a heart connection here with courage, courage, so to mm. speak. Yeah, I love that too. And which, which is relevant because in this context, we're not talking about the big stuff. You know, we're not talking about the kind of courage that it took for Captain Sully to land the plane on the Hudson. Hmm. But it's the small stuff. It's for some people, for, for many people, getting out of bed every day is a courageous act or facing another person with a friendly hello or uh, much less driving in traffic on, in D.C. <laughs> you know, those, <laughs> those, those are courageous acts. And, and I don't think we should underestimate the, uh, the hurdle that so many of us have to clear every day. Mm. And each person's courage meter is differently calibrated. So courage is in the eye of the, of the beholder. It's not, it's not some external metric that, that renders all things on a certain objective scale. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about how people will lob the accusation at others. Oh, you're a coward or you're mm -hmm. craven. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it isn't, it isn't for one person to look into the heart of another and, and see what, what obstacles they're trying to overcome every single day is that yeah. quote you know be kind because you don't know the burden that right. people are carrying and 
and and the even just carrying that burden is an act of courage. Like you said, getting out of bed. Right, right. And at its basis, I think um, it's not so much even what we're facing in front of us or around us that requires the courage, but I think it's the openness or readiness to face ourselves. Yeah. Um, it, there's a tradition at Naropa University where I'm doing this Master of Divinity program for midterms and final exams. Often they'll do it in the form of what's called a warrior exam, which has its origins in the tradition of scholarly debate in the Tibetan Buddhism tradition. Hmm. And it's part of Naropa's mission of contemplative education. So the class will be given a list of 20 some questions and often it's questions that the that the students themselves have crafted and you have to prepare to answer all 20 Oof. because then you gather as a class and one by one an asker draws a question from a bowl and the answerer then shares what they know so you only end up having to answer one question but you're doing it in front of the class out loud with your whole heart and mind on display. Wow. And oh, go yeah, ahead. well, in and what happens is then the asker can probe or redirect or follow up for clarification. So it becomes a conversation. And this nurtures a really fantastically fertile relational ground. Um yeah, it's is that like the Socratic method as yeah, well? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, Naropa's founder, said that the love of wisdom puts you on the spot at all times, hmm. which is to say the basis for wisdom is to understand who we really are underneath all the layering of costume and armor that life conditions us to wear. And this takes courage. I mean, like, when's the last time you literally looked at yourself naked in the mirror and resisted the urge to unveil that litany of criticisms? That's courageous. <laughs> I, for a second there, was just going to forget you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. yeah, I mean, have the courage to try it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not oh. fun, but it, it can awaken such... Such deep and, and abiding compassion. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, this, this is making me think of another component of courage. This, this mention of looking at yourself in the mirror. This is, mention is, of nudity? <laughs> I don't I don't even know if I have to take my clothes off to be not wanting to look in the mirror these days, to be perfectly honest. But, um, you know. Aging is hard, y'all. It really is not <laughs> easy. Um, but there's this component of willingness. Yeah. Like, I yeah. am willing, not trying to overcome with willpower, but a willingness to face what's uncomfortable, a willingness to meet adverse, adversity, a willingness to get to know our shadow, to do that deeper work the willingness to move toward something rather than away from hard work. And yeah. it's, it's really about developing ourselves. And that does take a tremendous amount of courage. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and I think it's something that you can kind of practice with the, the the desensitizing techniques. But I also think sometimes it it takes some inner exploration to uncover why certain things seem insurmountably scary. Right. And then, you know, there's the ultimate provoker of fear, which is our mortality. Yeah. Um, and in the Yoga Sutras, in the list of the five kleshas, the causes of suffering, the, the last one on the list is, is the fear of death. And, and, you know, in some ways it's like the fear of death is actually the fear of really living. Yeah. And, and, um, the act of loving another being or even desiring another person, if it falls short of love, or if it's not another being, if it's an other than human, if it's the, you know, the loving of the earth or of a pet um, or of a of a spot in nature, all of that is courageous because it implicitly acknowledges the temporal, temporary nature of of all things. Yeah, and and that dovetails really quickly to the ways in which we respond when we can't meet that truth. So mm-hmm. there's the craving, the grasping, yeah. the trying to hold on and and kind of preserve and amber what we think will keep us going in the way that we feel most safe or the aversion the the that unwillingness to lean into discomfort yeah and, or the dullness the checking out completely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right and yeah so without that courage we fall into those you know the three <laughs> the top three things that are mm-hmm. that are dogging us on the spiritual path the holy triumvirate yeah. of <laughs> grasping, pushing away, or checking out. Yeah, yeah. You know, another person who um, I really appreciate their their take on courage is my other BFF in my head <laughs> is Roshi Joan Halifax. Oh, yeah. So she's the the abbot, uh, abbotess, I don't know what you're supposed to say, mm. of the Upaya Zen Center in New Mexico. And she writes about having a strong back and a soft front, right? And the strong back is our capacity to hold ourselves with inner strength. That having courage is not about uh, opening yourself up to everything, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. This is not not an exploration of being so porous that people take advantage of you. So you have a strong back. Yeah. And that helps you to, because you have a strong back, embrace fearlessness while developing that willingness to be in the actual real world, not just the world that you imagine. And then we have the soft front, which is our open-heartedness and our willingness or the courage to be vulnerable, right? Which coming back to my other best friend, Brene Brown, who I think is best friends with Joan, which now I, I'm really <laughs> now I'm seeing ourselves out at like a cute cafe in New Mexico <laughs> having a can chat. I, can I sit at your table? Yes, yes, of <laughs> course. <laughs> Doesn't this sound great? <laughs> um, yeah. So the willingness to be vulnerable is at the heart of courage. 
opening yourself to the possibility that well, impermanence is a thing. So I'm going to love that pet, even though statistically their life is much shorter than mine. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna love, even though something terrible could happen tomorrow and it could be taken from me. I'm gonna be in the world, even though everything is so precious and ephemeral. You know, I just had two images come up. One is um, palm trees. I was listening to um, an interview with with a an arborist in South Florida, and she was discussing the damage of Hurricane Ian and the fact that the the palm trees are so incredibly resilient because they know how to bend in the wind. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. courage doesn't look rigid uh, because rigidity is is weak. And the, the other image is buildings and their relative earthquake proofness. And the, they know now in California to build buildings that have some give that actually can move and shift mm. rather than you know, like a dried out twig, which will snap and break. So courage is soft in the front, but the structure, you know, um, in Roshi Jones' metaphor, that the structure, the strong back is what, what has been built into the equation of softness. And along that line, in Taoism, water is associated with courage and its, oh. and its um, ability to move around and over and under and stay open and flexible and uh, undetermined, you know, because water doesn't have its own shape until you put it in a vessel. Mm. And so there's this kind of openness as well to courage that I don't, I don't actually know what's going to come next. And I'm going to be okay with that because yeah. I know that I have this capacity within me to to move fluidly with whatever comes up. Right. And, and think about water in spite of its almost transparency and, and its fluidity and its malleability is fierce. Yeah. 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 Especially when you look at the Grand Canyon and that persistence right. of water. Mm. Right. So this seems like a good time to switch over to practice and how these are both different and also interrelate. Like you said at the beginning, how one kind of feeds the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you see practice? Well, I see practice in, in a way that is the kernel of living, like we're we're practicing living every day, and as I touched on earlier, the the conventional way of understanding practice is that you're leading up to something, you're preparing for something else, mm. that it's not the real thing. But in this context, at least, I mean, certainly if you're a if you're an athlete or a musician you have to practice or any sort of performer, of course, you practice before the the game or the concert or the show. In this context, I think that that the practice is the point. Yeah. And 
um, that we're not practicing for something else to happen. We, we, we are in a daily cycle of practicing, just like this daily cycle of sunrise and sunset, waking and sleeping. Um, that's, that's a practice of the way the universe in repetition expands and contracts and the way we, our very organisms function to survive. We inhale, we exhale. Our heart expands and contracts to move blood through us. And one, one consideration that I think is interesting, this is from a reading from uh, Bhante Gunaratana. He's a, a Buddhist Vipassana teacher and author. He says, you can't condition a state of enlightenment. So it's, you can't practice to be enlightened. You, you can't practice happiness or practice grace. All you can do is condition your responses to the phenomena that's arising. So you're practicing responding to life. Mm. And ultimately, then what we're practicing is replacing unskillful responses with skillful ones, regardless of the circumstance. And it says as much in the Yoga Sutras, um, in the portion that teaches us how to cultivate the opposite. And we talked about this in, in an earlier podcast, Pratipaksha Bhavana. Bhavana means becoming into a state of wisdom or reverence. So when we see unvirtuous or unskillful happenings, whether it's in others or in ourselves, we respond not in kind, but in kindness mm. or in opposition to yeah. the, the, the distastefulness of whatever it is. And this is an ongoing practice. It's, and it's for its own sake. It's not for the sake of an altered state. What comes to mind is, is that as we practice in the way that you describe, uh, we may un or inadvertently think that somehow through our own practice, we're changing external circumstances. And I think one of the reasons why this is a persistent activity throughout our lifetime is that we are completely unable to control external circumstances. And we're constantly having to recalibrate our responses to things because they're always coming up in real time in many times unexpected ways. And so we, we can't ever get to the point where we can perform <laughs> enlightenment. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Pima Chodron writes, I, I think I'm quoting this accurately, that hope can be seen as a form of aggression against ourselves. Mm. So it's like hoping that we're practicing for something bigger or better implies that what's right now isn't enough or the situation isn't right right now. Yeah. Living for a future that may e never be. Exactly. Ugh, exactly. Tragedy. Right. The other thing that came to mind too, um, okay, so some more TV talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cool time. Uh, the Lord of the Rings show. Uh, okay. The Rings of Power was just on. And I'm actually not super into Tolkien, but I've been listening to some people who are talk about the themes 
that are really prominent in his writing. Shout and, out to my dad, the Tolkien scholar, but go ah, on. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, he's talking about how, or they've been talking about how this, you know, character that's typically considered malevolent through and through at times is trying to redeem himself. And this brings up the theme that being good is a choice. Hmm. That that every moment that comes our way, we're making choices about how we show up. And I love that when you were talking about not meeting a moment in kind, but with kindness. To hmm. me, that is about choosing a more skillful, wholesome path. We don't necessarily have to, this isn't a very Buddhist or yoga thing to talk about good and evil, but nevertheless, this this choice to be better than the uh, everyday ordinary way of behaving. Yeah. And, you know, self-care has become almost a cliche Mm. right now, but this is what we're talking about. This is practice. It works on a really basic no-brainer plane. It's like we have to choose. Like when we see ourselves getting overwhelmed or careless or out of balance, the answer is just really simple. It's like take the time, say the no, run the bath, make the food, go to bed. It's critical to our existence right now. You know, it's more than just valid. It's our lives are depending on it. Yeah. Another definition, if you will, of practice comes from Sanskrit, the word abhyasa, which shows up in the Yoga Sutras, and it means reduplicating. So I don't even know what that means exactly. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> well, it means practicing. It means doing yeah, it yeah. over, right, over, over, over and over and over, and over, over. Yeah, because. Yeah. Because as much as we are uh, enamored with progress, you know, and oriented toward like a a forward driving momentum. So again, this idea of like, we think we're getting somewhere other than where we are. The the natural world is not doing that. The the earth is rotating on on its axis over and over and over mm-hmm. every 24 hours is it and and it's revolving around the sun in the same orbit over and over and over every 365 days our heart is contracting and expanding over and over and over shunting blood through the body through the the vessels over and over. like everything about life in the natural world is practicing all the time. It is it is reduplicating patterns of of organic aliveness. And to get in tune with those rhythms, I think can be um, not just beneficial or healthy, but but joyful space to be. Yeah, I love that. So I love Annie that you've been decoupling this you know performance oriented practice where we have to become a good athlete so we can win the game or yeah. show up prepared for our concert and, yeah. and so forth. Like 
there's a reason to practice for an outcome. But when we're talking about spiritual practice or life practices, we really do need to dis- make that differentiation. What is a spiritual practice? Mm. And, and here I'm going to borrow from my teacher, Sarah Powers, because she really set me straight. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I, I spent real time with her about 11 years ago, um, I was a new mom. I was really struggling with what I had internalized as practice. You know, do your sun salutations, do your this, do your that, meditate for this amount of time. And it has to be this this uh, format or you'll lose the the habit and you know, it'll all fall apart. Yeah. And, and I <laughs> right, needed somebody right to tell me, no, you're, you're a mom now, things are going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. So she really set me straight. And I, I'm really appreciative it, of that. It takes a mom to guide a mom. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. It really does. So she describes practice as a process of self-investigation coupled with skillful means. So what are these two things? Self-investigation, we can kind of phrase that in in the modern term, doing the work. So this is calling on that courage to turn inward and be willing to face the uncomfortable material within us that is inhibiting our growth process, right? For becoming the people that we really want to be. Mm. which includes examining behaviors that we're not proud of, maybe even ashamed of. So this is deep work, self-investigative work. Skillful means, which comes from the Buddhist term upaya, refers to the ways in which we employ practice methods towards positive change. So these are our yoga methods, our asana, our pranayama, We can layer in our compassion practices. We can also consider that therapy is skillful means, you know, so employing skills and tools that will orient our minds towards wisdom. Mm -hmm. But these practices are meant to be fluid and responsive, like like water, so not fixed. And what's important here is sometimes upaya, the word Uh, is often related to the ways in which the Buddha taught differently depending on who he was talking to. Yeah, yeah. He was was all about not teaching in Latin, so to speak. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right, like who's in front of me? What do they need to hear? Exactly. If it was a monk, he was going to frame it differently than if it was a villager. Right. And and this is... uh, exemplified in the parable or the simile of the burning house. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard this one. I have. I love this one. So there's this man and his his house catches on fire and his three children have been in the house playing and they're really absorbed in what they're playing with. And, and he keeps calling to them, you need to leave, you need to leave. And they won't come because that's how children are, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he starts individually you know, throwing little white lies at them, knowing what will lure them out. (laughs) Yeah. And so this is the example that they often give of, of different practices are for different people. There isn't one way to do anything. And, and that's really important, right? 
Mm-hmm. That we, this is not like a do these 10 things in this order and everything's going to fall into place. Yeah. Because everybody's different. Then we add to that individual practices that at one point in time are suitable for a person change over time. So here we get the raft simile or the raft parable talking about, you know, building this raft to get across the river. Mm-hmm. Once you get across the river, you don't need that don't raft Don't need anymore. the raft anymore. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. And, and so this is often evoked to remind practitioners that some of your practices you will set down for a good reason. They don't yeah. serve you anymore. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that's interesting about this conversation between skillful means and self-investigation is that sometimes we uh, we latch on to skillful means as the end all and be all, right? Like I've got to do my practice thinking about that uh, Patabi Joyce quote, do your practice and all is coming. Well, uh-huh. if, it's, if it's a narrow view of doing the Ashtanga sequence, well, no, that's that all is not going to come from just right. doing that. But if he's much more inclusive around self-investigation and inquiry and, and adaptive practices over your lifetime, then yeah, I do think practice is all is coming, all is coming. But we, we got to be careful not to confuse skillful means for the wisdom that we're trying to engender through our practice. Totally agree. It makes so much sense to me it, because everything is relational. Mm. And I want to bring in the the idea of friction, not in a not in the connotation of conflict, but in the connotation of the sort of the driver of life force. You know, mm. life itself relies on friction to sustain it. I mean, if you think about it in just really biological, literal terms, two people have to come up against each other. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, to, to create a, a, a third, another one. And again, back to sort of like the natural world, you think of just on a molecular level, hydrogen, the most abundant element in the universe, it fuels the sun on its own terms by itself. And then it meets oxygen, which is critical to life on its own terms, and together they make water. This is an act of friction. This is, this is two elements who have their own roles separately, their own, shall we say, practice. And then when they relate with one another, they have a different role, a new role, which in this case, you know, sustaining livability yeah. on earth. Um, back to my best friend, the Yoga Sutras, <laughs> um, uh, tapas, which is one of the one of the niyamas situated inside of the eight limbs, which is the the discipline to burn away the impurities, and it implies like there's this fire, this friction that's necessary to create anything new, and and the fire, the striking of the match, the lighting of the flame is going to depend on what needs to be lit up in any given moment. And this comes back to courage, right? Indeed. Knowing that indeed practice is edgy. It's uncomfortable. Mm. Mm-hmm. It requires a willingness to lean into that friction. Yeah. 
step into that fire. Yeah. It's it's huge. We got to go into it. We, we got to do that work, the we hard do. work of of uh, finding our truest selves. Here's a little aside and a slash public service announcement. If you're listening to this and it is prior to November 8th, step into the fire of the polling booth and get your vote in, please, yeah. for the love of all that is this country. Yeah. Yeah. All Americans at home and abroad, please, please vote. All right. So speaking of seasonal rhythms, here we are in the Northern Hemisphere. It's autumn. Really and truly, we're starting to get some of those cool, cold mornings and evenings now. So I thought we could do, Annie, a little a little chat on the things we're doing, things we're reading, things that are nourishing us to prepare for the winter season. Mm. What do you what do you do in the fall? Well, I try on all my sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> I say hello to them and tell them I missed them. I do have a relationship with my closet. And um, I also say hello to all my delicious herbal teas in the pantry. And I make sure that the gas fireplace is all ready to roll. And so it's all about warmth for me. It's all about uh, calling in all the, the supports to keep me warm. I like that. So for me, you know, thinking about the winter and all the time that we have to spend indoors, I will do a spring cleaning, but I tend to be much more oriented towards doing a fall cleaning, uh, knowing that I'm going to be in this space mm-hmm. <laughs> a sense. lot more. And so I like to declutter. I like to do a little deeper house clean and get the dust kind of out of the nooks and crannies. Yeah. Um, so really decluttering my physical space so that I feel that um, that cozy, warm feeling rather than kind of edgy, why is there all this stuff around me <laughs> feeling mm-hmm. when we're cooped up in the house? And along the same lines, um, I'm not perfect at this. It's, it's still a practice, but I am getting better and better and better at decluttering my calendar as we head into the darker winter months. Uh, following that rhythm of the cycles according to Taoism, this is this is the hibernation season that we're heading into, the yinist time of the year. Yeah. And so I don't I, I'm disinclined just generally to want to party and, and do all of those things, especially in the December time frame. And so I'm just sort of owning that. As, as time goes on, like, nah, I'm not going to go. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to overtax myself at a time when fresh chi coming in is, is lower and uh, breathing recycled air more often and, and having less sunlight to nourish us too. So I really like to be like those fat bears. <laughs> mm, me too. <laughs> you follow the fat bear challenge? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. One of the national parks up in Alaska 
has started doing, I don't know how long they've been doing it, but they, it's like a f- awareness thing for bears and maybe it's a fundraiser too. I'm not sure, but they, they put up all these pictures of the bears in the park and you get to vote on the best fat bear because they get, <laughs> they get really fat going into their hibernation season. Oh, I, I love that sort of like <laughs> nod to the seasonal nature of, of all, of all beings. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. And we do appreciate your feedback. So if anything about what we've been talking about inspires you to write in, please do feedback at skillfulmeanspodcast.com. Super interested in your takes on courage and practice and and quiet and awareness and anything else to do with uh, spiritual life. You can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash skillful means podcast. And we also really appreciate uh, your subscriptions and your shares and your high ratings and your (laughs) glowing reviews. It does help. It does help us share share this wisdom that we're really honored and humbled to to be conduits for yeah so until next time may we take refuge in the practices that help us move with ease connect with grace and be of service <laughs>